0: The road, Throw advised folks, take the one less traveled. Willie could not wait to get back out on it again. I'm Jim Hutchinson with the Fisherman Magazine, the New Jersey-Delaware Bay Edition, and I figured that the road seemed to make the most sense as a name for an audio podcast because we take this, the microphones, the setups, wherever... Folks are fishing throughout the New Jersey Delaware Bay region. I wanted to take take it to tackle shops and captains where they are. So the road just seemed to make a lot of sense. But around the Fisherman Magazine, the road also meant a lot more. Meant a lot to me. Quick story, real quick. Um, when I first started at the Fisherman Magazine in the New Jersey edition back in two thousand and two, Pete Barrett, who founded the magazine in nineteen seventy three, took me under his wing. And in my first month at the magazine, I knew that I wanted to get out on the road and go see different clients where they were throughout the state of New Jersey. And about a month in, as I said, um, I went to see um, our office manager, who was Linda Barrett, Pete Barrett's wife. And and Linda ran everything in the office. She knew where everybody was, did all the accounting, took care of everything. So I went to Linda on a Thursday afternoon. I said, look, Linda, I'm going to take some personal time, a little bit of personal time that I had. And uh, I, I'm going to spend the rest of the day, I'm going to be on the road all day in Cape May. And Linda looked at me and her face went white, her mouth dropped, and she didn't know what to say. And she I, I got to tell Pete. And I was like, well, makes sense. She went into Pete's office, closed the door, and I went back into my office and sat down and started doing my work. About five minutes later, Pete Barrett, my mentor, came to my office door, knocked, and he said, Jim, uh, I, I, need, I need to talk to you for a minute. Can you come down to my office? I said, Yeah. So I walk into Pete's office, and as soon as I get through the door, he says, Jim, could you close the door? I'm like, oh, man, I'm in the job for a month, and then the boss wants me to close the door for a meeting. He goes, "Uh, you know, you've only been around the office here. You've been at the Fisherman Magazine for a little bit of time. You know, you really think you should, you know, take the day off to go fishing. And I was like, I looked at him. I didn't know what he was thinking. And I said, Pete, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, you're taking the day off on Friday to go fishing. I said, no, I'm not. He goes, well, I, you, you said something to Linda. What would you say to Linda? And I said, well, I, I, I told Linda. Actually, I thought back and I said, I, I told Linda um, that I was going to be, uh, well, I want to go see clients in Cape May. I want to go see all our tackle shops. They're brand new people to me. I, I don't know them. So I told her I was going to be on the road. And Pete starts laughing. And he looks at me and goes, oh, my God. He goes, around these parts, we don't say we're going to be on the road because it means something different. And the reason it means something different is because this this podcast being on the road, the road, you're on the road, it took on a different meeting because of the guy that's sitting in front of me. If I was going to do an audio podcast, the only way I would do it was with a good friend, another mentor of mine, Nick Honicheski. You ruined the word the the phrase the road what did you do when 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 you say i'm gonna be on the road on friday what does the road mean i've been sitting
1: here holding my laughter and for whole, <laughs> whole brand new intro for your whole intro for your brand new podcast i've been holding my laughter and just hearing that story just on the road right what is it the road on the road and like you mentioned we ruined it for you hutch and i apologize for that you know <laughs> But, um, (laughs) that was back when, you know, Dave DiGennaro, Austin Pirelli, Mike Brullo, and I, uh, in the Fisherman 1998 to like 2002 era, um, you know, we'd say, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to go see clients, right? And we're going to go on the road. But it was this really subversive allegory, which meant when you're going on the road, me, Dave, Mike, or awesome. would all look at each other. We knew dang well that we're meeting <laughs> at the dock in Point Pleasant. We're jumping on the gambler, we're jumping on the fishmonger, and we're going fishing. On the road meant we're going fishing. And that was the whole thing, is, uh, It was this this sleight of hand kind of tactic saying that we were going to be selling advertising, but we were on the road. So, so <laughs> you're,
0: you're going to be on the road on the Route 35 corridor. Right, that Route meant 36 you were, corridor. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Route, Route 35 corridor meant you were surf fishing. Route 36 corridor meant you were on the Raritan Bay catching Yeah, exa-
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we had our little uh, our little keys in there, you know, so we knew where we were going to be if we're working the barrier island. That means we're surf fishing. You
0: know,
1: <laughs> we're going to go down to, uh, you know, Brigantine or something like that, you know, just got to check on North guys. Carolina, maybe. Right, oh, <laughs> man, we'll get into that in another podcast, that's for sure. That was a true on-the-road
0: story. <laughs> so, so years later, when I, I bought a little center console um, uh, about five years ago, and I, I should say that Nick and I are officially on the road right now. It's 2023, it's February, and Nick and I are sitting in a hotel room in Oaks, PA, because we're working at the Philadelphia Fishing Show. Yep. So I thought the best best way to kick off this audio podcast was was <laughs> to perfect, let's right? be on the road. You and
1: me together, right <laughs> on the road together, talking about it. Yeah.
0: So so a few years ago, I bought a little center console, and I was like, you know, I'd never named a boat before. I grew up on Garvey's and little skips. I was like, I want to name this boat, and I re- went through a bunch of different names. And I was like, the road. I was like, Nick Konieczny taught me about that. Nick and Dave DiGianero and Austin Pirelli. Oh, yeah. I was like, I want to be officially. Out of the office on Friday, I want to be on the road. And I had a guy in Egg Harbor Township, signs by Mo, and I had the road, but I sent him the fisherman logo.
1: That's what I was, <laughs> I was just going to say. When you put that, when I jumped on Hutch's boat, right, for the first time, and he was like, Come on, we're going on the road. And I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, Oh, it's great. You know, you named it on the road because it's kind of like the the same tack is like I'm going to the office with the bars that name it, themselves the office like I'm going to the office so like the when one you say Gerber, literally yeah. I'm going on the road you're on the road and you're not lying you know what I mean you're going on the road right. but when I jumped on your boat for the first time and it was in the fisherman magazine I logo same, I said the man fa- you went over font. the top on this man and I was like you really are embellishing this and I cracked up some oh my gosh I, that really made, made my day That's I love I telling
0: people I'm going to be on the road all day on Friday. Right. don't call me <laughs> (laughs) Actually, somebody will say, are you on the road? And if they send me an email, if it's it's in lower cases, I'm working. If it's in in uppercase, (laughs) and it's a proper... Yeah, Yeah, then you're
1: selling ads or (laughs) taking care of business.
0: So I first started at the Fisherman Magazine in the fall of 2002. I'm a New York City dropout. I grew up at the Jersey Shore, but I'd been working in New York City for a bunch of years. And then uh, after 9-11, I dropped out. And when I said Pete Barrett was my mentor, he was. Because he took a chance on me and said... You know have this chance to to be a, a fishing editor fishing writer and 20 some odd years later i'm there and it's it's fantastic but the other guy that took me under his wing of sorts is you in 2023 i started 21 years ago you started at the fisherman magazine 25 years ago
1: 1998 maybe? so 20 yeah 25 years it'll be this year i've been in the full-time uh you know journalist side of the sport fishing industry so it's been a long time i've done this full-time it's not like a uh you know, a part-time job, like I have a regular job somewhere else as a hedge fund guy or a contractor
0: (laughs) or something. You say that and that's really important because to be, there's only a few freelancers that I know. When somebody says they're a freelancer and I think of you and I think of Gary Caputi. Right. Yeah. And there's a few other people, but uh, you know, a lot of folks think about, um, the writers at the Fisherman Magazine and over the last 20 some odd years, all of our articles are on a freelance basis, and we've got some great writers—really um, people who who fish hard and they they share their tactics. But for somebody to build a freelance career, right. it's really difficult. Yeah, to to not know where your next paycheck is going to come. Exactly. That's been really—is that that's difficult?
1: Well, as long as you pay me on time, we're good. <laughs> I've been getting f- checks from the fisherman for 25 years, <laughs> and I think I got one due on Tuesday. So let's get let's make this happen. Yeah, we're we
0: this is this is a Friday night. Nick's got a column due this weekend yeah. for our March edition. We got to write Magazine. it
1: tomorrow. But uh, along the lines of your question, with your what you're asking, because I have a lot of people actually ask me this. Like uh, they're like, oh, so what do you do for a real job? I'm like <laughs> I'm like yeah, is- a real job. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, this is my real job. You know, it's like oh, fishing's your real job. Oh, it must be so hard. I'm like. Damn right, it's hard because you gotta constantly hustle. You gotta constantly go after like new work and everything. It's not like you just con- are continually on this conveyor belt of of work that just comes to you. You have to go. You gotta be hungry. You gotta go for it. And especially in ever evolving uh, landscape, there's new people coming in, old people, and you're competing for a market space. Like as a freelancer that's only, you know, finite, you know? So you continually have to redevelop yourself. You have to reinvent yourself. You have to talk to your editors, know what they want. New editors are coming in every year now and everything, but I've made a full-time living of, uh, you know, writing for 25 years. Uh, you know, obviously sport fishing is my main, you know, my, my main treasure nut there, but, uh, but
0: you, I've, I think I've, Picked up a magazine on an airline. Right, your, right. Your stuff has been in there. Exactly. Not just fishing, it's no, travel.
1: So, uh, you know, back in the days before... 2008, like the uh, airline magazines I wrote for, I used to be a big travel, well not used to be, I still write for right. a lot of travel magazines, but a lot of those avenues aren't there anymore, but the coolest thing like you said, I'm on an American Airlines flight continental, <laughs> I'm reading my article and I'm showing like the stewardesses and like the stewards, and they're like, oh yeah, and they're buying me free drinks. Does that like, work for you? Oh, it does so, work for All you. the time. <laughs> they're like, are you kidding me? I go, no, no, look, 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 check me out, here's my picture I'm in a, you know, Bahamas here Oh, check this out, American Airlines, but um Getting back to the point, it's a you know it's a it's a long road to hoe. You know what I mean? And it's a lot of work. It's continue. I, I equate it to like uh, the freelance life is a shark that's swimming. And when the shark stops swimming, it sinks and it dies. So you constantly have to be swimming and, and feeding and looking around because the moment you stop, you become complacent. You're gonna die in the industry. You
0: know. I, I want to ask you about how you got started, but you bring up a good point because a lot of folks think that. They look at these fishing shows that are on TV and it's like, Mm -hmm. wow, you know, you'd you'd always look at Mark Sosin or, um, uh, right? Right. And say, wow, that's really cool. They just show up. They, they jump on camera. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now. So Nick launched, uh, in the last two years, the saltwater underground, Mm -hmm. which is a really unique program. Right. But Do you just show up and you fish? Yeah, that's
1: it. That's all I do. That's it. The (laughs) cameras cameras (laughs) roll. So this is how it goes down. So Saltwater Underground, we're in our third season now uh, on Discovery Channel as of last year, Sportsman's Channel, Waypoint TV, and then on my YouTube, Saltwater Underground. Um, So people don't realize, you know, how much work goes into an actual TV production? I'm not a YouTube dude that just straps a hey, GoPro to my head. Shut up! I'm a dude. No <laughs> offense to you guys or anybody. No, 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 there's respect to that too. It's the new media, and I dig that. But you know, for me to be on terrestrial TV, the production costs are extraordinary,
0: right? So you've got to think, buy, you've got to buy that time, don't you? How's no, that work? No,
1: no, well, it, it works different with different networks. Uh, but what I'm talking about strictly is production costs, because I shoot with a 6K camera with uh, my, uh, my camera guy, Ryan Somalchik from uh, At-Num Skull Surf. He's a surfing photographer. Um, and so, he, I, you know, he's a young gun. He's like 23 years old. So I know he's got that like that, that, that passion, that fervor to go out and he's, and he's a waterman. So he knows, but he's never fished before. So what we do is we go out and like we film and we raise our budgets we go out and film but the whole key to my show which you were alluding to is that all these other shows you know they're beautifully produced you know I'm like best friends with George Poveromo Flip Palette, like all the all the old school guys and everything but there's never been a show based in the Northeast before right, right? So Saltwater Underground is based along those lines where in our fisheries, so we can relate to them up here, but yet you know I've fished around the world. I've been to fifty-two countries. You know what I mean? I've fished them all. You know, as far as I know. But I wanted to bring a, a show home. But, to but my when you're show. doing
0: that show, the thing about it is, and so we can look at Provaromo. But you're not just the the talent. You're you're producing this show. Right. You've got to sell this show. Right. You, you've got to book the time. You're you're personally, because I, I, I've seen you, we we go to the, the, the annual manufacturing events. We go to ICAST yep. every year. And you're out there trying to get sponsors. So you're working full-time 365 days a year to get that show paid time. for. Right. So you're still working as a freelancer. All the time. Nobody's like, paying it, you a it, salary. That's
1: what I mean. You don't get paid as a freelancer. So anyone out there who wants to get in the business and like <laughs> make a living... You're not going to do it. Go get a regular job and go get it done. But if you want to work hard and get it done, you can actually do it. But uh, like I said, I'm a one man gang. I sell it, produce it, host it, all that jazz, you know, Um, and, and, and that's what it comes down to. It's a lot of hard work. So when everyone goes, oh, you fish for a living, it's like, yeah, but I also get paid for a living. And if I don't bring that money in, I'm not getting paid. If like I don't get the sponsors. And right now, you know, thankfully with Saltwater Underground, you know, we got, uh, Grundin, Shimano, Bubba Blades, Savage Gear, Ronzi, uh, Grumpy's Tackle, Fisherman Supply and all that. So I'm getting guys on and I've been with me three seasons going into season four now. So it's uh, it's cool. You know? So it's cool is
0: you have the local sponsors and the national sponsors. Yep. But yep. the national... So if you've ever... Anybody who's ever going down to Florida, you spend some time in the Florida Keys, you can turn on the TV at any time and you're going to see a fishing show. And most of the fishing shows that I see down in Florida, it, it's it's... So, so guys are catching fish, and it's beautiful. They're catching tarpon, they're catching snapper, they're catching right. blackfin tuna, and it's like, oh, they're holding them up, they're yeehaw, woohoo! And the, but what makes it different is it—you're you're actually, to me, it's like you're watching somebody's photo album, right? You're yeah, watching yeah, somebody's yeah. home video. Yeah, yeah. So, so Nikki comes out with this uh, Saltwater Underground, and it's all, it's really, in a way, it's a little bit gritty. It, it's all it local. Is. That's what I want. Right? I want
1: it to be real. But, but, there,
0: but there's something different about your show that reminds me of another show, because you mentioned it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you go out and you do this, I, I'm watching this from, from, from the position of an editor. You record the show and you get all this great material. But that's not all that goes into the show because oh. you're writing it and, and editing a piece. You're doing a lot of content, right? Mm-hmm. So when you watch this show, th- this, this is the reason I'm asking. You mentioned somebody before, and, and I know the name. It's in, it's in my pocket. If you look back at any of those big time national shows that are on, what's the first name that comes to mind is the person that says, yeah, that's my biggest influence. What name would come with to mind?
1: Fishing shows.
0: For for if you looked at all the fishing shows that we all grew up yeah. with and we maybe well, watch now, what's the biggest influence? Well,
1: let me tell you. Truth be told, I don't watch TV and I don't watch fishing shows. But you watch <laughs> the old yeah, ones. I'm going back to the old ones. Back in the day, is Walker's K Chronicles. That's the one. That's it. And flip and what? What all, all, made Flip Palette different? Though. Because I mean, you know, Flip was like a you know a hedge fund dude. You know, what I mean, like a like a Wall Street guy. But he realized he wanted to get out of that and like like dedicate his life towards you know the environment and conservation and and truly enjoying life you know and but what i loved about him is that his ethos his mindset and his spirit is so real you know what i mean and he's like he's not talking down to you you know what i mean like fishing a lot of i'm not going to talk about other people's fishing shows but like what my fishing show is is that like i want you to be there with me you know what I mean? I don't want to preach to you. I don't want you to try and be like me. I don't want to like think like I'm someone that's outside of your realm. I want to be real and raw with you so you feel like you can pal up to me when you see me at the show or something like that and grab a beer. Or talk well, you're, about you're, you're or not, still you know? the
0: same guy. We Everybody yeah. sees you on the beach in the Jersey Shore. But if you if you know Walker's K Chronicles yeah, walkers, and you yeah. know Flip Palette, if you, if you don't know the show, you got to find right. it on YouTube or something. Because there's a scene in every show where Flip is sitting and typing in a typewriter on his deck, right? And that to me is the, the, there was content with that. So even with your show, with Saltwater Underground, you watch it and you watch all this great stuff. There's good interviews. There's some good banter back and forth. But after the fact, where you, you know, what they saw, they say post, in post-production, Nick does... The editorial that you would read in any of his stuff. You know, what's funny? that back. just
1: naturally comes from me. Like, <clears throat> honestly, God, I was a kid, like, back when Walker's K was around. Me and my buddy Chris Lito would watch it, you know, in, like, high school, grade school, and a little bit in college. But... I can't even remember any of the episodes now. For me, my influences are like the bones brigade videos from skateboarding, you know, <laughs> like, like that raw and like little edgy kind of like, that's why I named it saltwater underground. Cause it's like, it's more than, uh, than fishing. It's like an ethos, a lifestyle, you know, and like something that's like more raw and down to earth. And, and, and like you said, like gritty and like, like,
0: but you it's know, still real.
1: Yeah, but it's all real. It's not like it's, like it's the saying... You you <laughs> There's and, nothing different. There's nothing fake about it. You know what I mean?
0: You and Dean Ween sitting yeah. out of Betty and Nick's having a pork roll egg, and cheese. Right. You know, never
1: any Ween fans out there, you know, Mickey Melchiondo, a.k.a. Dean Ween from the band Ween, and I have been, you know, best buddies for a long time. And we met through fishing, actually. And, you know, if anyone knows Mickey's mindset, you know, it's it stuff gets crazy. And that's how, um, you know... Mickey and I used to do a couple of shows called the Brownie troop fishing, <laughs> you know, show and bike club on, on YouTube in like 2005, 2006. So you guys can maybe still see some of that, but uh, yeah, but that, that whole gritty and the rawness and the, cra- not necessarily craziness. It's just, we're being who we are, you know Correct. what I mean? And like anyone who overacts or tries to be something, you see them in person. You're like, wow, you're not, you're not that person I see on YouTube, like smacking someone in the face with a bunker. You're like, you don't, you don't seem like you're that person. <laughs> it's like so the so mm-hmm. the guy
0: I'm going to see at the Philadelphia Fishing Show this weekend, at any particular weekend cuz you're doing all the shows. Yeah, so yeah, that's yep. this, and I can tell you that's the same person. Yeah. You, you know.
1: Or my standing, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> you got a <are> standing. <laughs> you you
0: mentioned growing up. You grew up um, in the Clinton area. Yeah, in Hunterdon
1: right? County, Clinton, New Jersey. Uh, my family was uh, been there since the 1920s, you know, farmers and hunters and fishermen. That's how it's I got in the, in the DNA. Fishing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Your father about
0: father was really involved. Yeah, father and your, your brother, right yeah. too. Very my involved. Got in the, yeah, it,
1: right? hunter, fisherman. My father and my mother signed me out of school um, when I was like, I don't know, five, six years old. And he'd take us down to Island Beach State Park and we'd go fish, you know, get the striped bass run in November and December and you know, my brother's like a historian now for museums that are local in like Hunter and County and all that. So yes, hunting and fishing through my entire life. So, But a
0: lot of history too in the Department of Environmental Protection, the Division of Fish and Wildlife yeah, and like Conservation. My, like, like
1: my, you know, my father uh, worked for the DEP, Department of Environmental Protection for 30 years. He was the, the man... Who cleaned up single-handedly? He instituted the program for Operation Clean Shores along the Jersey coast in the area the 80s, from 1984 to 1988. He did that program. So that's why when you go on the Jersey Shore in the 80s, it used to be syringes and all these like oh, medical man. waste. He cleaned all that up. And uh, you know, my uncle's been a game warden, Greg Hanuschewski, legend down in South Jersey. You know,
0: that's why that's why Nick doesn't get busted.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you would think, right? <laughs> I abide by the law.
0: Um. Um, Mickey, earlier we bumped into each other um, in the fall of 2022 at the pocket of Manasquad on the one day that it just blew up, and it seems like Manasquan blows up one day a year. You and Mickey met no. up, or me and you? I met up with you, and you and Mickey were on that. Oh, bite. nice, nice, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, everybody, there's yeah. so many people on a bike. Oh, Mickey, you're talking Sisera. about Sieger, not Manasquan. No, we we're Manasquan back in November. We were right on the border. Sea-Watch Beach is where you're talking about. So,
1: yeah, I guess it was on the border. There. Yeah, it was yeah, on I the guess. border. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Jenny from Grumpy's, Nikki Sisera, yeah. everybody no, no. was there. It no, was no, like... we call, yeah, we call that Sea-Watch Beach. Yeah. Is but you're right, it you... is Manasquan, but it is Sea-Watch, we call that, yeah.
0: You spent a lot of time on the beach from Sandy Hook down through Seabright, and we're not going to give any locations, but... Um, the... <laughs> I think I just did. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: But that bite's not
0: there right now, so don't worry about it. Yeah. The fall, the fall run of 2022. And if you're in, in Atlanta County, Cape May County, Southern Ocean County, you're like this. You guys are ridiculous. But um, the especially Monmouth County. What what was your experience from the striper bite of fall of 2022?
1: Oh my gosh, man! And I continually have this conversation everywhere I go since uh, you know the end of December, early January. Is that uh, the only thing that I can equate it to with the bass run this year, in the surf specifically, obviously the boat, I'm not talking about boat fishing. I'm talking about boat fishing. was It's like yeah. crazy. But for the surf, it was just the only other year I can remember was 1998, if anyone out there is even old enough that's listening to this podcast or has fished in 1998. But that run was absolutely epic. And not only it was with bass, it was with bluefish and weakfish and six, seven-pound weakfish getting chased up by 14 15 pound blue but the striper
0: run itself
1: no it was like that in 1998 in the surf and it was sustained and that's what made this run incredible because not only was it like um you know one blitz you know what i mean and then everyone goes all right where's the blitz and then two weeks later another blitz and it's like all right this was a sustained fishing extravaganza from all the way from november all the way through mid to late december um Every single day, and if you missed it one day and you only picked at them the next day, the next day it would blow up again. And it was peanut bunker again, splash. Right. It was rainfish. And then people that weren't even fishing the third week of December, it was sand eels and all that. And all this started, strangely enough, was during my Barrier Island Beach Brawl Tournament, which I host sure. every Columbus Day weekend. Yeah, But that weekend right there... That was October 8th? October 7th, 8th. Yeah. This year, the monster, monster... Bass came in in October, October 7th, 8th. And they were all 35 to 50 pound bass. Right. We released 53 bass in my tournament in a day from that from that actual day. And I don't know if that sparked this run to actually start happening. So but, tell me, if, um, yeah.
0: see what you think about. It. So I remember that because, um, you know, I do the, the weekly video forecast for the Fisherman Magazine. And that particular week, um, I was doing the... The, the forecast from the Fisherman's uh, Headquarters in Ship Bottom. And um, for two weeks before that, we had two direct nori storms, back to back. And that weekend's forecast was for offshore winds. Right. And I remember advising, I was like, listen, we got offshore, could happen, maybe happen. Did you notice that for, like, especially through November, I know that weekend of October that we're talking about, that was offshore winds the whole time. Those yeah, boats it was. were nosing up against the wind. Do you think that in, in November, was there a prevailing northwest west that that may have had those bunker coming up, nosing up against the wind? Because I, I, I feel like the offshore winds, we had a better, much better. Bunker.
1: Well, northwest wind always seems to bring in those fish, you know, but you get like two, three days of nice push that pushes these fish from Long Island when they're starting to move down. In New Jersey, I'm talking specifically here. And, like, and then when it goes northwest again, it starts blowing out. And this run started, as you, I'm sure, and anyone else who fished the run this year, it started out north, right? So it was like Sandy Hook, Seabright, every single day, like Mammoth Beach. And it was started getting bananas. I mean, and we're talking not just like small fish. It was like 25, 30-pound fish, legitimate 30-pounders. Not like, you know, like the 30-pounders that people say are 15 pounds, you know? <laughs> but, um like monster fish like that. But the cool thing is, is those fish were sticking around the bait piles and then they'd start moving down south progressively. But a lot of times they just stay in that little area for like a day, two days. But the next day, if you're like, oh, I'm in Seabright and you talk to your guys, you're like, all right, we didn't catch anything here today. That means you know that they moved down like two, three towns, right? So then that's the day that you and I and uh, Mickey got them down in uh, you know Manisquan, Seagirt area and all that. And then they stayed there for a three day like mad dog blitz. That was just, <laughs> it, it blew my mind seeing what was happening there. You know what I mean? With all the bass blowing up on bunker schools. I mean, it was total mayhem. Total mayhem.
0: Let me ask you a question. Sure. Serious question. And this is one of my favorite questions is, um, is what's in your plug bag? You know,
1: It's in my car right now. Is <laughs> yeah, your plug bag? Well, it is because I got a straight bass and bluefish seminar tomorrow. But <laughs> But I did put everything, I left the plug bag as it was. When I left the beach in December, right? I
0: should, have, I should have had you bring this in.
1: Yeah, if we had it on video,
0: you'd love it, man. What is the, what's the what's the one plug that you never travel without?
1: Is black like, bomber. Black really? or blurple bomber. And I'll tell you because I fish a lot at night. And we're talking strictly bass fishing here for everyone. Uh, you know, stripers in the surf. Like, I catch more fish on a black or blurple bomber than any other plug that I throw out there. But that's nighttime. You know what I mean? Because I'm fishing during low so, but light hours. So
0: you always have a black bomber in for night. always, always. I, one, I feel naked I, without it. So let's go. Not a lot of people do it. Look, the, the best bite, the guys that are doing it around, always having success. Right. When you're in a blitz condition, I can catch fish. Right? right. A lot of people can catch fish, but the guys that are really catching fish are the ones fishing around the clock, mm-hmm. fishing nights, fishing tides, fishing structure, and probably not talking about it, and not posting it on Facebook, right. and not reporting it in the Fisherman Magazine. For the daytime guy, what's the if, is there one plug that you just have to have all the time? So spring, do fall? do not leave your bag
1: right. For me, it's like the the big four, like Milt Roscoe used to say ah. with the species. But the big four, you always want to have a shad, a metal, a plug, and a popper in your bag, okay? Because you got to know what's happening. You got to know what the fish are biting on. How they're you know how they're reacting to strikes. Like if they're The feeding down deep in the water column, mid-range or up on top. So all those four will cover that. And each one of those four generally mimics a certain bait profile. So if you get your bomber plug or a plug, any plug, SP minnow, whatever it may be, you know, that mimics like the bunker or like a... um, you know, like a herring and then you get like a shad obviously peanut bunker then you go with a metal which could be anything from spearing down the sand eels on the bottom you know and um, what was the other one the popper I guess right? um, popper up top right. and that basically is an aggression strike tactic one you, you know say is a bucktail well bucktails it's interesting For bass, I know a lot of guys fish bucktails for bass and like I'll use bucktails when the the surf is really rough because you can root down on the bottom and pop it back to you almost like you're fluking but you're really snapping the bucktail to make it bounce off the bottom. Generally, when I'm fishing bottom, because that's a bottom fishing thing, I'm dragging Ava jigs at that time. That's generally how I'm catching most of my bass. And I, when I say casting out an Ava jig, people always think like, oh, you got to reel it in, reel it in. I drag that thing so it's like literally dragging through the sand and the tail. Which is what is the, the are going to be looking down. But that's right.
0: the one thing that I realized. And, and, and I think that's what some folks miss about the um, concept of uh, the real enjoyment about surf fishing is figuring this stuff out as you go. And I, I think a lot of our culture now is like, tell me where, tell me what to use and tell me how to use it. But part of the fun too, part of the experience is figuring out how to use it. That's part of the experience, that's all the experience. If you want to be a
1: fisherman, that's how you got to learn. Like a few
0: years ago, I had this, I I took this cod jig out of one of my boxes because it felt like the bass were feeding out deep and on that cod jig, I had a tsunami, uh, was it, Tsunami has him, hoagie has him. it was a sand eel imitation, and I threaded that on the back of the of the long hook. Right, right. But all I was doing yeah. is I would cast out as far as I could and just pull it back. You can't see what I'm doing. I'm pulling it back, right. and then I'm reeling it back down, and I'm pulling it back. Because that thing was just dragging through the sand, right. creating a commotion, and that little tail, right, was coming up. And that's when, you, when we're on that sand old bite, which we right. haven't seen in it in a couple of years at this point mm,
1: I saw them a, a few like that's... last year but like I'm, I'm fishing through the end of December early January and like and like my hands are freezing like ice blocks and I'm banging them against my like thighs you know and like there's nobody out there like I'm fishing in snowstorms and that's when the sand eels are really like out there you know people a lot of surf fishermen don't fish through the winter time like that they like the true up. winter you know what I mean that's when sand eels are truly there you know what so, I mean? like, so it's
0: funny this, this is a great point um the 2022 bite in ocean and mammoth county october 4th sunday that was the last really sustained blitz and all of a sudden overnight it was it was almost like it was done right? oh yeah 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 there were yeah. still fish it was dead zone yeah but, yeah. but after that there were no blitzes right. it was just like overnight it's done and a lot of people hung up yeah. their gear um so i remember you wrote an article for the fisherman magazine a, a few years back savio Mizzi did a really cool piece of illustration what's the tell me the day of the largest striped bass you ever caught here so, it is right here it's funny you say that actually right? I'll, I'll i'll tie it right back in
1: to what you just said about those sandios and this is the strangest thing ever december twenty sixth, uh 2000 was it 2016 i think it was 2016 december twenty sixth. it was either
0: 15 or 16 thinking back to the article
1: December 28th. I'm sorry. I I just started to think about it. It was after Christmas. Absolutely. After Christmas, you know, like, I'm just like kind of like plugging for like a couple stripers here. Got my Ava jig on. I go outside on Brick Beach 3, right? By the old Thunderbird. Anyone who's local knows it. Thanks Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) It's going to change tomorrow. You know, it doesn't matter. That's my home turf. So you'll see me there. I saw all these gannets diving, right? And I see like monster gannets diving. Boom. And I see like just huge white water splashes just erupting outside the outer barn i'm like i can't reach them with my plug i wanted but it's like 200 yards out so i put on a 12 foot rod put on an ava 47 jig right the heaviest thing i had in my in my thing but i wasn't fishing with that ava 47 jig i put a tsunami sand eel on the teaser right casted it out reached right at the edge where the gannets were hit the water boom Immediately, I get hit. I'll make a long story short for you. 25, 30 minutes later, I beached this bass through the low tide water. And I I taped it out because I didn't want to kill it or anything like that. I literally had it out of the water for maybe 30 seconds. Taped it out. It was 48 and a half inches long with a 26 and a half inch girth, which through the calculations makes it 51.44 to 54 pounds. So I can say I legitimately had a 50 pound bass on December 28th if you can believe that. And that was the biggest fish I've ever, biggest bass I've ever caught in the surf. Conversely, this past (laughs) spring, which I couldn't believe, I'm I'm, uh, in 2022, in June, around the full and the new moons just so you guys know, I'm not gonna give it too much up. I was casting black bombers out and I was ca- tying into these fish with a nine foot rod, my usual rod, and I was under gun. It was like, they were just spooling me. I thought I was hooking in the sharks. They were just like slapping and spooling me and everything. I was like, I couldn't believe this. So I brought a bigger rod out the next night, casting around. Hook into the fish, I land it, and once again a 50-inch fish with like a, a, I think it was like a 24, 25-inch girth, and I landed like two or three that day, and I have the pictures, that are actually I think in the one upcoming article I have coming up for you, but so there's big fish out there at nighttime during the day, and also I want to tell this to your your listeners because it's 2022, it's the first time you're hearing it here, here. That night, okay, in June last year, 2022, I also had three weak fish, okay, weak fish that hit that black bomber at night, each one 34, 35, 36 inches. True Tide Runner 10-pound weak fish at night in 2022. And mark my words right now as I'm looking at this microphone, watch the big Tide Runners come in and start really coming in again this year. Because once the first wave came through last year, I think we're going to see something happen this year.
0: It's funny that you, you say that because um, today at the show, we're this is uh, Friday, um, February 17th, 2023, and I talked to the captain of the Duchess out of Fortescue today. Right. And he said he caught a, a bunch of weak fish this season. And yeah. they weren't making directed trips because it's a one-fish bag limit. Right. But on all their other trips... He yeah. said all released.
1: All my fish are released, too.
0: I just want to preface that. you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I would like to see... I, I have a feeling, personally, that there are more weak fish than, around than we think. Nobody's targeting them because of the mindset of the one-fish bag limit, even if we're catching and releasing fish. You, you mentioned fishing um, in the Northeast in, uh, around Christmas. You spent a few years working for uh, Saltwater Sportsman down in Florida. Sure. You enjoyed that?
1: Yeah, I loved it, man. Uh, It was tough being away from home because every time I was reading reports of everyone catching bass in November, obviously I wanted to be here. But uh, yeah, when I was managing editor down at Saltwater Sportsman for two years, uh, you know, I learned, you know, not learned, but just went out to Canaveral, went to fish all the time. But I did enjoy it.
0: I just, you know, you get homesick, you know what I mean? Well, it gets back to something you were, you, you have built a career on being a, a freelancer. Right. So there was a period of time where, it, like when you started the fisherman, I think when you got out of Villanova, you went to Villanova uh, College. Right. Uh, you came out of Villanova, Fisherman Magazine, first full-time job.
1: Right. Well, first uh, fishing industry job, I, I was, believe it or not, I worked as an accountant's assistant. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah, not. And yeah, you know how that worked out. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it worked out, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Let me get the f out of here, real quick, real quick." And then I went to manage Real Life Bait and Tackle because my friend's dad owned it. That the and I was like, 24 hours." Yeah, and yeah. I was working like you know five to five shifts, five in the morning, and five at night, five at right. night, five in the morning. And I'm like, "F this!" I'm like, "I got a Villanova degree. I'm working at a tackle shop. I was like, whatever." So I walked into Fisherman Magazine after a twenty or a, it was like a nineteen hour shift. I'm like. Whatever I can do here, Pete. I was like, I just want to work at a fishing magazine as a writer. That's all Pete Barrett wanted here. Whatever it takes. He goes, give me three months, you have a job. He goes, if you want to work the boat shows, you can do it. But yeah, Pete gave me my... uh, my start in the fishing industry, which I really love in the Fisherman magazine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have built my career whatsoever if it wasn't for the Fisherman magazine and Pete Barrett taking me under my wing to give me my first job, have faith on this little crazy surf rat that was living on the, you know, on the beach and like having a great day, like fishing around the clock, you know, but, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for, for everything with the Fisherman mag and the way that I've, uh, you know, expanded my career and worked around with all the different titles and write for all the magazines and now have the TV show and all that. So
0: question that's a, that's a, that brings up a good point is, um, somebody, young person, college, high school, what would you recommend as far as getting into the recreational fishing industry?
1: Well, it depends where you want to do writer, fisherman, or what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Well, there
0: you are I mean, uh, how about getting into the media end?
1: Well, media, and the greatest thing that we didn't have growing up, which everyone has now, is that you can make, you can be your own media brand. You know what I mean? So all the kids oh, and, and that are and out it there. it needs is a microphone like this. Right, right. Or even, not, even less. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you can see, like, all the YouTubers out there getting it done. anyone who wants to, like, kind of build their brand, say, you're like, 9, 10, 11, 12, 18, however old you are, you mm-hmm. want to start, like, um, you know, building yourself up? Just kind of film yourself. But let me, let, let me make an important point about this, too, is that... Uh, You know, all the new people in the new media like that are, it's all, it's fishing is not about me, me, me. Okay. It's not about like the arrogance of being like, oh, all the, you know, the focus is on me. And it sounds strange because like, yeah, I have a TV show and you know, I'm on camera. But the point is, it's like, it's about teaching and opening up doors for people so they can find that passion and however you can connect them with that passion Make that your focus. If you're being a young guy with a YouTube, tell other people how they catch fish. Don't be like, oh, look what I got. Oh, look at me, do this. Like show other people what to do. Bring someone in, bring a friend, show your girlfriend, show your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister what to do, you know? So if you are getting in the media, you know, as a a young kid, just make that happen. Yeah, but make the focus on how fishing, you
0: know, changes your life and how it can, uh, you know, it can be a a fun endeavor for everybody. Well, I think you, you did that for me. Um, back in 2002 and along the lines just being look if you meet Nick along the beach or you you meet him along the dock someplace the, the guy that you that you hear is, is the, the guy that you're going to meet um, you're a really great guy and you've done that through the writing and through our personal relationship um, I want to save some of this stuff I, got, I can't tell you how much this is the first edition of the road I thank you for being on the road um, but I, I want to do this again because yeah. you're you're helping me break virgin <laughs> ground. Oh my gosh! So when I get this all wrapped up, I want to I want to talk again because there's some there's some things that I still want to talk about with oh, you. Oh for sure. I want to figure out where the saltwater underground is going. There are a bunch of stories that I. want to Oh my gosh,
1: out. you and me both, man. We'll uh, you and I've been through some some things together too, brother. You, you know? know,
0: you and I as as writers and, and editors, we've seen it before. There's this uh, people make mistakes where they spell striper with two p's. <laughs> But you've got a story I know of of, of where it works pretty well. Sure. Breaking so, virgin ground. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one more question. You've been all around the world. You've caught a bunch of fish. Is there one fish that, that still haunts you? What's, what's the one that you want to catch next? You
1: know, it's funny. Everyone, a lot of people always ask me that. But uh, it's not like necessarily a fish that haunts me. But there's certain fish I want to do. I want to catch a Napoleon wrasse in the Seychelles. And the one thing I've always wanted to do, and I haven't done it yet up in Nova Scotia, right? Like, you know, the fjord, the fjords, whatever they call them up there, it's salt water and they freeze over. They drill through the ice, right? They drop a 50 gallon like container, like a 50 gallon drum. They wrap it with nylon line. They go down 300 feet and they ice fish for halibut, oh. that's what I want to do. Because then, when they get the halibut to hit the line, they hook it to an ATV, but and then they pull it up with the ATV. But I'm going to do it handline. So I'm going to handline a three-pound halibut through the ice in Nova Scotia. That's what I want to do.
0: We'll be seeing that on the saltwater underground in the future. <laughs> We've got the uh, the Philadelphia Fishing Show tomorrow. I look forward to working with you at that show, and I look forward to seeing you at some of the shows coming up in the uh, in the very near future. Um, Nick Konachewski, Saltwater Underground, field editor for the Fisherman Magazine. Thank you so much for doing this with me uh, this this time around.
1: Hutch, it's my pleasure. We're
0: we're going to do it again real (laughs) soon, man.
1: All right, brother. Thanks a ton, brother.